Awesome. Thanks, Sarah Beth. And uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here at the Medina East Campus. There's a lot of really exciting things to celebrate that are going on here in the life of Grace Church. And I just wanted to reiterate something that uh, Sarah Beth mentioned just a moment ago. And uh, I just want you to hear it from me as well, uh, not to be too redundant, but uh, being that it is Veterans Day, I do just want to pause and, and just personally, again, say thank you to all of you who have served our country uh, in, in all the various ways in which uh, that might be represented in this room. And I'll be the first one to admit it. I might just be speaking from my Myself, but I don't think I am, that uh, we really do take our freedom for granted. And uh, I know every day uh, I don't always have an opportunity to really think about the freedom that we get to enjoy and what that, what that has cost. And, uh, and so I'm thankful for things like Veterans Day because it makes me pause and remember uh, that the freedom that we get to enjoy has been afforded by those who have decided to lay their freedom down. And uh, so the fact that we can even get together like we are here this morning and we can open up our Bibles freely uh, that's, a, that's a really amazing thing, and I just don't want to ever take that for granted. And so if you're a veteran, uh, we do just want to say thank you for your service and your sacrifice for our freedom, that we get to enjoy that. And so we hope that you feel honored and celebrated and, uh, and loved because you, because you are. And so that's, I want to talk about that. Another thing I want to let you know about that's going on in the life of grace that you might not know about here at our, at our campus is that uh, we actually had uh, 22 middle school students this past weekend engage in a retreat that we call in and out So the in and out retreat is a weekend kind of long experience that's here local. And so uh, 22 of our middle school students went with, uh, with Dan and Charlie. They helped lead our, our, our uh, student ministry, and they got a chance to do that. And so uh, some of you are parents of those middle school students, and your, your, uh, your student will be arriving back here today. And so good luck with all that. I'm sure they're not, you know, probably hyped up and, and probably sugared up and probably are low on sleep. So you're welcome. And, uh, but, uh, but seriously, I just want to, want to really celebrate. That's an exciting thing. Many of you guys know that when you can get students away on a retreat where they focus on their relationships with each other and they focus on the relationship with God, great life change happens in those moments. And so I just want to encourage, if you would, to be praying for those 22 students as they kind of re-enter into family life, as they re-enter into their school uh, this week, that those spiritual investments that were made would just continue to grow in them. So be praying for that. And then I also uh, want to encourage you to pray for Dan and Charlie, who lead that. They just spent the weekend with 22 middle school students. And so they are suffering for the Lord. So pray for them. And uh, it's a good, good, wonderful thing. Um, here today, what we're going to be doing is we're actually continuing in a series that we started several weeks ago that we've been calling Unstoppable. And if you are just kind of tuning in, if you're just kind of joining us uh, here today, if you're a guest, I uh, just want to extend a real special welcome to you. Thanks for, for being with us. Uh, I want to introduce myself. My name is Tony. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And so if we've never had a chance to meet, uh, I would actually love to remedy that. And so after the service is done, if you have a moment, please stop me uh, out in the cafe and introduce yourself. I really would love to hear your story and hear how you got connected here at Grace. Uh, but if you are just kind of joining us uh, here today, the series that we're in, uh, just to kind of recap for you a little bit, what we're talking about is we're saying that God, God desires to unleash his power in and through your life and into the world in which you live. That's what we've been saying. We've been saying that God actually desires for each and every single one of us, God desires to unleash his power uh, in your life, through your life, and into the world uh, in which we live. And so we've been in this series saying, practically speaking, how does that happen, right? How do we, how do we for those of us who follow Jesus, how do we position ourselves in such a way uh, that we can be used by God, that God's power can be unleashed in our lives 
that it can be unleashed through our lives and into the world in which we live. And so each week what we've been doing is we've been looking at very practical examples of what that looks like and practical ways in which we can position ourselves uh, for God's power to be unleashed in and through us. And so each week we've been doing that. I would encourage you, by the way, if you missed any of the previous uh, talks in the series, you can go back, you can listen to, watch any of those on our podcast, our podcast, our app, or our website. Uh, all of those are for free. But today we're going to talk about another kind of practical aspect of what does it mean for God's power to be unleashed in and through your life? How do you position yourself for that to occur? And so here's the title of today's talk. Okay, we're going to talk about this. It's called Unleashed Soldier, Athlete, and Farmer. That's what we're going to talk about. Unleashed Soldier, Athlete, and Farmer. So God wants to unleash his power in your life and through your life. How does he want to do that? One of the ways he wants to do that is he wants to unleash soldiers and athletes and farmers. And some of you are going, that sounds really confusing. Like you mean at like the same time? All those guys at the same time? It sounds a little bit like a YMCA music video, right? Soldier, athlete, and farmer. So how does this all kind of work? Well, let me explain this because actually this, the language soldier, athlete, and, and farmer comes from a very specific passage of the Bible. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles if you got them, and we're going to flip together to 2 Timothy chapter 2. So this is the passage we're going to spend some time trying to get our minds and our hearts around uh, as, we, uh, as we get a chance to talk about this together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you brought your own Bible, 2 Timothy is kind of a small little book, and so uh, it's easy to flip past in the New Testament, so there's no shame in using your table of contents. Uh, but also, if, you, if you're using one of our Bibles, there's some black Bibles in the chairs underneath you. You'll find that on 832 is where you're going to find 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let me just say this too. If you don't physically own a Bible, if you would just take one of ours, we actually would really love it if you had a Bible of your own. And so you can have one of ours, and we think that'd be awesome. So 2 Timothy 2. Uh, go ahead and flip there. Now, as you're finding 2 Timothy chapter 2, let me just give you a small amount of context. Okay? I think it's going to be helpful for us. So uh, the book of 2 Timothy, we call it a book, but that's actually not the best way to think of it. It's actually not a book. It, it literally is a letter. That, that's what it is. And it is um, the reason it's called 2 Timothy is because it's the second letter that we have uh, that was written to a guy named Timothy. And so Timothy, uh, Timothy we're going to find out, was a young man, and uh, he was a young protege of a guy named Paul. Now, if you're not a, a Bible person or if you maybe didn't grow up around the church, maybe you've heard the name Paul. Paul was uh, an apostle, which meant that he was kind of like a very influential early church leader. And what we're going to find out is the circumstance in which Paul is writing to Timothy is very, very uh, interesting and unique. So Paul, the time that he writes this letter, this actually was the last letter that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy from prison in Rome, and he is awaiting certain death. And so Paul knows he's about to die. He's about to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is imminent. That is coming. And so here's Paul understanding that he's about to die. He's writing to Timothy, his young protege. Now, it's interesting what we know about Timothy. When you read the book of First and Second Timothy, you, you, you learn some stuff about this guy. So what you learn about Timothy is that Timothy's a young dude, and he was a guy who, because of the Apostle Paul's ministry, he gave his life to Jesus, he started to follow Jesus, 
he started to uh, serve Jesus, like many of you have. He, he gave his life to Christ. He started to follow, Jesus started to transform his life, and then he started to dedicate himself to serving Jesus, right? He became all about serving Christ. And the Bible tells us that by the time we get to 2 Timothy 2, he's probably been a follower of Jesus now for about a decade or more, maybe a little over a decade, and he is starting to get to a place, there's great indication in First and 2 Timothy, where Timothy's starting to lose heart. Like at one time, Timothy was super passionate about knowing Jesus and loving Jesus and serving Jesus. But now as he's been serving Jesus for a long period of time, he finds himself in a place where he is starting to lose heart. In fact, there's indication in the book of 2 Timothy that Timothy is demonstrating a tendency to be ashamed of the gospel. He's starting to get timid. At one, at one time, he was not afraid to speak up. He was not afraid to stand for what he believed. He was not afraid to tell us about Jesus. He's starting to become ashamed and timid. Uh, Tim, the book of Timothy gives us indication that as Timothy's been serving Jesus, that he's experienced some opposition. Uh, there's been some people who have opposed him. There's been some people who have been against him. There's been some people who have persecuted him. And so he's becoming fearful. So he's growing timid. He's growing fearful. He's losing heart. And on top of all of that, Timothy, we understand that he was serving in a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a place that was notoriously anti the gospel. So there, it was a very hostile culture to be talking about the things of Jesus, much like the workplace that many of you might experience uh, where, where you go and where you work. And so here's Timothy. He's losing heart. He's growing timid. He's getting tired. He's starting to burn out. He's been serving Jesus for a while now, and he's starting to wane in some of these things. Now, let me just ask you real quick uh, before we dig into what Paul says here. How many of you who follow Jesus have been to that spot before? You've been there before? Yeah, right now. I've been there before. I've been there before. Uh, when, when, uh, when all of a sudden you find yourself where it's hard to see clearly, uh, when you get tired, you get timid, when you get, when you get to a place, you start losing heart, you start losing faith, you start losing confidence. We get there. We get there. That's true. And so here's Paul at the end of his run, right? He's, he's facing death. And he writes to Timothy. And in part, he writes him to encourage him and to help motivate him. And I want you to notice what Paul says. I think this is really insightful. Here's what Paul says. We'll start off in verse one. He says, you then, my son, uh, stop for a moment. So Timothy was actually not Paul's son, uh, not, not like, you know, literally. Uh, this is actually a term of affection. It was a, ter a term of endearment. And so he says, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men will also be qualified to teach others. He says, you need to invest yourself into raising up other leaders, other people. And then watch what he says next. This is so cool. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all of this. And this is a really interesting passage, isn't it? Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's losing heart. Timothy's growing timid. Timothy's full of fear. And he writes to him, and he says, Tim, he says, buddy, I'm on my way to death. He says, I'm at the end of my race, but let me give you some encouragement. He says, Timothy, man, be strong in God's grace. Be strong, man, be strengthened. And then he goes on to say, Timothy, God is not done with you. God wants to use you. He says, God want his, wants his power to be unleashed in you, and he wants his power to be unleashed through you. But then Paul says something interesting. 
He gives this metaphor. In fact, he gives three metaphors. It's a three-headed metaphor. And the metaphor that he gives Timothy is he says, Timothy, in order for you to position yourself in such a way that God's power can be unleashed in you and through you and into the world, he says, you got to think like a soldier. And you got to think like an athlete. And you got to take on the mentality of a farmer. That's what he tells him. That's what he tells Timothy. And what I love so much about these three metaphors, I don't know if you noticed this, Paul never explains to Timothy what he means. He's never, not, he's never like, and so, so here's what I mean, Timothy. It's just, you know, this is what I mean. He, notice what he says. He just says, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord is going to give you insight into all this. He says, Timothy, just mull it over. God will help you figure it out. You'll figure it out. Just think about it for a while. It's actually pretty interesting. The word right here, reflect, some of your translations uh, might say ponder, uh, or it might say, uh, it might say meditate on these things. And actually, in the Greek language, it's a pretty strong word. It's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. It literally means to press your mind down on something, to think hard about it. In other words, it's the idea of, man, you, you know, he's like, Timothy, you need to marinate on this. Uh, you need to really reflect, think about this, ruminate on this. And so I thought, I thought what we would do with the rest of our time here today, so I thought maybe we just do exactly what Paul says. I thought maybe we just take some time ourselves to reflect and ponder uh, these three metaphors and think about what it means for us that maybe God would give us insight into these things. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. So it is time for us to ponder. That's what we're going to do together. We're going to do some pondering this morning. And so for that, why don't you turn to someone next to you, give me your best ponderous face. I just want you to do that because we're pondering today. What is that? Do you, do you ever notice there's a fine line between a ponderous face and a constipated face? <laughs> I'm just saying, I just noticed that right now. So Anyway, so we're going to ponder, right? We're going to think a little bit about this, press our minds down on it. Soldier, athlete, farmer. And these are the three metaphors. He says, Timothy, reflect on this, ponder this. He says, God's not done using you. God wants to work in you and through you. He wants his power to be unleashed in and through you. How does he want to do that? You got you to take on the mentality of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. What do those things have in common? What are the commonalities? What are the similarities between these things? And so um, I think there's probably a lot probably more than, than we even know. And, uh, and, I, my, and I think even as we're thinking about this together, my, my guess is you're probably gonna think of stuff I never thought of. And if that's the case, by the way, I would encourage you to actually stop me in the cafe. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I just, I love that. Uh, but what I wanna do with our time is I, I actually just wanna think through together five. I just wanna think through five commonalities and similarities between these three metaphors that I think are very instructive and are very helpful to us in how we position ourselves to be used by God, for his power to, to be unleashed in and through us. So here's the first thing, all right? The first thing that came to my mind, thinking about soldier, athlete, farmer, when I was reading this passage, is one of the things you'll notice about all three of, of these different uh, roles is that they all require a certain level of engagement, right? They all, the, the, just, by, just by sheer definition of soldier, athlete, and farmer, they all insinuate that there is something to be engaged in, but there's a requirement for engagement. I'll put it another way. Uh, all three of these roles require a single-minded dedication to something that is bigger than themselves. All three of them assume that there is a clearly defined goal and a clearly defined purpose. There is a singularity of focus. There is a need for active engagement. And that's true with all three of them. So uh, he says here, again, here's the metaphors in verse four. Soldier, down here in verse five, athlete, and then again, farmer, 
Right? All, all three of these roles, if you think about it, they all are assuming that there is something that must be engaged in. And so for a soldier, a soldier is someone who by definition is engaged in a mission. Right? By defi- a soldier without a mission is not a soldier. A soldier, a soldier by definition is somebody who's engaged in a mission. Athlete, the same thing. Right? An athlete is somebody who by definition is engaged in a game engaged in a competition. An athlete without a game, an athlete without a competition is not an athlete. It's just someone that likes to wear athletic gear. That's all you have, right? Um, A farmer, by definition, is someone who's engaged in a field. They work a field. A farmer without a field is not a farmer. A farmer without a field is just someone that likes to wear John Deere. That's it. And And so all of these things necessarily imply that there is some, a singularity of focus. You've got to be engaged. There's a need for, for a lifestyle of engagement. And actually, I, th- I thought this was worth mentioning. When Paul says to Timothy, soldier, athlete, farmer, that actually would have meant something probably pretty specific to Timothy. I know it means something to us today, but what it would have meant to Timothy is, remember, Timothy was in a place called Ephesus. And so Ephes- Ephesus was this, uh, this Greco-Roman city. And so because of that, when he heard soldier he would have thought of a Roman soldier. That's what it would have came to his mind. That's what he would have been uh, well acquainted with. When he heard athlete, what he would have thought of was he probably would have thought of a Greek Olympian. So uh, Ephesus was actually a place that was known for its athletics. And uh, in fact, if you were to go to modern-day uh, Turkey, which is where ancient Ephesus is at, you'd find stuff like this. And so this thing's amazing. This is a theater that's still in Ephesus. You can go see it. It seats 25,000 people. And uh, this actually would, would have been a place where they would have done a bunch of different things for arts and culture. But among that, they would have held the Greek Olympic Games. And this, some of the competitions would have been held in an amphitheater like this. And so Timothy's probably thinking about when Paul says athlete, he's thinking of that because he's in Ephesus. And this is stuff that he would have known about. He would have thought of the Greek Olympian. And then when he says farmer, um, he obviously would have thought of a farmer. I think for us today in our culture, uh, sometimes we can lose a little bit of the meaning behind this. So few Americans actually are engaged in the farming industry. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, less than 1% of Americans are engaged in the farming industry. Back in this time, though, back in times of antiquity, 85 to 90% of the population was directly engaged in farming. And so he's using metaphors that Timothy would have been well acquainted with. He would have understood what Paul was talking about. But I think foremost among all of them is they require a level of engagement. All three, I don't know if you noticed, all three of these roles require an entire lifestyle. It's not just, this isn't like you, you a soldier doesn't like punch a time clock. An, a, an athlete that is competing doesn't, you know, th- your whole life is centered around this goal, centered around this ambition. Like a, a farmer, if, if something goes wrong at three o'clock in the morning, he's got to get up and deal with it. It's not like he's like, I'm off duty. It's like, no, it's a, this is all encompassing. Your whole life is... And so, so what does that mean for those of us who follow Jesus? Well, I think, I think what Paul's saying to Timothy is saying, Timothy, in order for God to, to use you and for you to be open and for you to be available for God's power to be unleashed in and through you, you gotta be engaged. You gotta be engaged. That you need to have a singularity of focus. There needs to be a singularity of purpose. You have to be engaged in the mission. And, and what is that for those of us who follow Jesus? What is the singularity of focus? What is the singularity of purpose? Here it is. It's to know Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. It's to be all about loving and serving him. 
that there's a singularity of purpose. And I think for those of us who follow Christ, when we think about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, it forces us to ask this question. Am I fully engaged? Am I, am I, am I, am, do I got both feet in on a singularity of purpose that I want Jesus to be the all-consuming purpose of my life? That I wanna, I wanna live for him, I wanna know him, I wanna be like him. That's, that's the thing that I'm all about. Not am I a part-time Christian, not am I like, you know, part of my life is surrendered to him, but there's a, but man, engagement, engagement, both feet in, right? And I think what Paul's telling Timothy is he's saying, man, Timothy, God wants to work in and through you and he wants his power to be unleashed. But in order for that to happen, you gotta take on a mentality and the mentality is the soldier, athlete, and farmer. And part of that means that you gotta be engaged. You gotta be engaged. And so that's part of it. That's part of it. I don't think it's all of it. I think there's more. Because that leads me to the second thing. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but as I was kind of observing this, I noticed that all three of these roles require that there is something to be submitted to. They all, in other words, I'll, I'll put it another way, all three imply that there's, there's a willingness and a need to submit to something and subject to something outside of themselves. Right, do you notice this? So let's take a look at the passage. Who is it that the soldier needs to submit to? You see it in the passage? Tell me. Right, yeah, that's right. It's the commanding officer. It's exactly what it is. So he says, Timothy, uh, no soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but he wants to please his commanding officer. Uh, with the athlete, right, what does the athlete have to submit to? Do you notice in this passage, what is it? It's the rules. He's got to play by the rules. He has to submit himself and come underneath and subject himself to the rules of the game. That was sort of interesting. I was studying Greek Olympians. And uh, did you know that for a Greek Olympian, there was three primary rules that they had to adhere to to not be disqualified from the Olympic Games. The first one was this. They had to be Greek-born. So you had to be born a Greek, otherwise you couldn't compete. Number two, um, you had to swear to the statue of Zeus that you had trained for at least 10 months. And the training was rigorous. The training included diet, a very rigorous diet adherence. And so they, had to, they basically had to go to Zeus and say, Zeus, I swear to you that I've trained for 10 months, and if I'm lying, kill me. And so they would do that, and then they had to submit themselves to whatever rules of the game that they were competing in. That's what they had to do. And so when Paul says, Timothy, um, no athlete you know, no athlete gets the crown unless he plays by the rules. Timothy would have understood what he meant by that as well. And then with the farmer, it doesn't actually directly say it, but I think it's indicated who is it that the farmer has to submit to? Well, he's got to submit to the laws of nature, right? So the farmer's going to get up and, and he can't help if it's going to rain or if it's going to, you know, if, it's going to, if there's not going to be enough water or whatever. He can't, he can't help those things. So he has to navigate and work within the laws that are there. So what does this mean then, right? When, when Paul tells Timothy, I want you to think like a soldier, an athlete, and farmer. I think what he's saying is, Timothy, there's a need to be engaged. But I think he's also saying there's a need to be submitted. That for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that not everyone here today follows Jesus. Some of you might be investigating all of that. But for those of us who follow Jesus, I think what he's saying is, man, if, if we truly want to be uh, used by God, God's power unleashed in and through our lives, we have to be engaged. We've got to be submitted. We've got to be fully submitted to our, to our commanding officer. Right? In other words, we like to say it this way sometimes at Grace. You have to make a, a choice to take your hands off your life and say, Jesus, I want you to be the one who defines and directs me. And that means that I want to be about your priorities, that I want to fully submit. Like the, the soldier probably doesn't always feel like submitting to the commanding officer, but he understands. In fact, some of you who are veterans in this room, you understand this better than any of us. 
if you don't submit to your commanding officer, it might compromise the entire mission. And so there's a need to submit yourself to something. And that's the same with the athlete, and that's the same with the farmer. And I think what he's saying is, for those of us who follow Jesus, we need to look at Christ, like we just sang about it a moment ago, we need to look at Christ as our commanding officer. Look at him as the great commander. And so when our Savior, for those of us who follow Jesus, when our Savior says things like, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations to those who follow him, when he looks and he says, I've given you and I've endowed you with spiritual gifts, and you're to use those spiritual gifts to, uh, to help to the edification of other people. I think when he looks at us and he says, listen, I want you to be connected in biblical community with other people who follow Jesus, practice the one another's. For those of us who follow Jesus, we shouldn't look at these things as like suggestions, we got to look at these things. It's like marching orders, man, from the commander-in-chief, King Jesus. And so we have to submit. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, man, God wants to work in you and through you. He wants to unleash his power. But in order for that to happen, you got to be engaged. you got to be submitted. Here's the third thing. I, I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed. In all three of these instances, um, it is implied that there is something to be avoided, that there's a distraction, that there's a temptation that must be avoided. So, for example, uh, what is it with the soldier? Do you guys see it? What is it that he must avoid? Yeah, I, I hear you guys. It's civilian affairs. Right? He says, I want you to avoid civilian affairs. Now, what are civilian affairs? Well, I think all of us understand that. Civilian affairs are things that are not necessarily bad things. They're just distractions from the mission. That's what they are. They're things that people who aren't engaged in a mission get involved in and get, get entangled with. In fact, it's interesting, the word here uh, gets involved in civilian affairs. Some of your translations say no one gets entangled in civilian affairs. And the word there actually literally means to be interwoven into or to be entangled with something. And so he says, Timothy, he says, if, 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 if you're going to think like a soldier, an athlete, and farmer, there's something to be engaged in. There's something to be submitted to. And he says, and there's things that you have to avoid. There are, in order for engagement to happen, there are certain things that you need to avoid, not even necessarily bad things. They might actually be fine things, but because you're on a mission, they need to be avoided. Same thing is true with the athlete. What is the temptation for the athlete? Well, again, I think it's implied here. The Bible says that he needs to play according to the rules. And I think what that implies is that there's probably a temptation to cheat, right? If you're, if you're competing on this level in, in, you know, if you're an athlete and you're competing on this level, there definitely is a temptation to cut corners. This is why, you know, on the news all the time, we see professional athletes who have taken steroids or have corked the bat or have done something to try to cut a corner in some way to get an edge on the competition. I think what he's saying is there's something to be avoided. With the soldier, he's got to avoid civilian affairs. With the athlete, he's cheating. With the farmer, I think the mere fact that he's called the hardworking farmer probably tells us that the temptation is towards laziness. It's actually interesting. The Greek word for hardworking literally means to work to the point of exhaustion. I mean, farmers work hard. And there's a temptation, he says, for, for laziness, to not, to, to not work hard in these things. What's all this saying? I think what he's saying is that, man, if you want to be used by God, position yourself in that way. You've got to be engaged, submitted, and there's some things you have to avoid. You have to avoid civilian affairs. There's certain temptations and distractions that are gonna, can keep you from being fully engaged. And some of you are like, well, can you give me like a, an example of what you're talking about? So let me give you one. 
So um, I was actually thinking about this passage. I couldn't help but think of when I was, when I was serving in, with our college ministry at our Bath campus. So before this campus began, I had the great privilege of, of uh, helping lead our college ministry at our Bath campus. And it was a blast. It was, I absolutely loved doing it. And I remember this one time, my wife and I were out to dinner, and uh, we were at this restaurant. And it was one of those restaurants that had TV screens everywhere. You guys ever go and eat places? I, I, I can't stand going to those places because I have such a hard time uh, paying attention, not looking at the screens. But we were sitting there, my wife and I were having a conversation, and I happened to glance at one of the screens behind her. And there on the screen, there was this advertisement for this, the, the sequel to this extremely popular video game. So there was this video game that had come out years before that. It was really, really popular, wildly popular. And now I saw on the TV screen that there was a sequel coming out. And as soon as I saw that happen, I just went, oh, no. I just went, oh, no. And my wife goes, she goes, what? What's, what's the matter? And I said, oh, I just I said on that TV screen, I saw that that video game just came out with a sequel. And she was like, so? She's like, you don't, you don't even play that video game. Why, why, does that, why does that bother you? I said, well, because we're in college ministry. I said, and you know, the first time that game came out, our ministry suffered as a result of it. We watched a lot of these young dudes who were engaged and who were growing in Christ and who were making big decisions to follow Jesus and serve Jesus. We watched a whole bunch of them get entangled in a bunch of useless junk. Now, you gotta hear me. I'm not like anti-video game guy. That's not, I'm just not that way. But I'm just saying there's a need for those who follow Jesus to avoid certain things for the sake of the mission. I saw that video game, the sequel, and I was just like, I know it's gonna happen. We're going to watch a bunch of guys get derailed in, their, in following Jesus because they're going to get caught up in this dumb game. And you know what happened? Exactly that. And that game cost, I think it cost us some serious victories because some guys got entangled in some civilian affairs. And I'm just saying, for those of us who follow Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, sometimes I don't know if we take seriously the commandment in the Bible that says that we need to strive to live simple lives. In other words, the question that those of us who follow Christ need to ask, we got to ask this question, Am I striving to live a simple life? Am I striving to declutter things in my life, commitments and obligations and, and other things so that I can make myself available to be used by God, right? Sometimes I feel like we, we just, we keep piling stuff on and we just add more complexities and we add more commitments to things and we're just not even available to be used by God. And, and I think Paul's saying, Timothy, man, God, God wants his power to be unleashed in and through you. But in order for that to happen, there's some stuff you gotta avoid. You gotta be available for him. Don't get caught up in civilian affairs. Don't, don't clutter your life up with a bunch of stuff that's actually gonna keep you from engaging in the mission. I'll never forget, uh, again, back over at the Bath campus, I was this, there was an older woman that was part of our church, and I loved this woman dearly. She actually was a really good friend of mine. She's since passed, and so she's at home with the Lord. But she was just a firecracker, man. She would pray for people, and she was just so passionate. And one day she came up to me, and uh, completely out of the blue, no context to this statement at all, which I loved, you know? And she just came up to me one day, and she, was, she's, you know, she walked over, and she just kind of was wagging her finger at me. And she looks at me, and she goes, she goes, Tony, she goes, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I was like, okay. You know, and I, I don't know where that came from, but I thought about it. I thought, you know what? That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. One of the greatest things that can happen is we can get distracted and caught up in things that aren't even bad things but things that can derail us and detract us from the mission. And so he says, you need to think like a soldier. You gotta think like an athlete. You gotta think like a farmer. You gotta engage. You gotta submit. There's some stuff you gotta avoid. You know, it's interesting. When I was reading these three things, by the way, 
Do you notice what they all have in common? Civilian affairs, cheating, and laziness. They all have in common, you recognize this, they're all real easy. They're just easy. It's just the path of least resistance. It's so much easier to lay on the couch than it is to get up at five in the morning. Right? It's, so much, it's so much easier to cut a corner than it is to do the hard work. It's so much easier to just get caught up in the entertainment thing than it is to engage in the mission. It's just so much easier. And I think, I think by the way, that leads me to this next thing. And this next thing, quite honestly, I think is maybe the most important of them all and maybe the most obvious of them all. And that's this. All three of them require endurance. Do you notice this? All three of these require a high level of endurance, of persistence, and of perseverance. All three of them. Right? In pretty powerful ways. So something must be endured. With the soldier, he has to endure hardship. Right? A soldier that enlists in battle that doesn't expect that there's going to be conflict and suffering and hardship is very deceived. Right? For the athlete, what does he have to endure? He has to endure training. Right? He's got to go through that rigorous training we're talking about. For the farmer, he's got to endure hard work. The farmer works hard. He's got to get up every morning, right? That's what he's got to endure all the time. And, and listen, I think what he's drawing out here is he's saying, Timothy, man, you got to understand this. If you want God's power to be unleashed in, in and through you, man, you got to think this way. you gotta, there's, you got to engage. you got to submit. you got to avoid. And then here's the big one, man. you got to be willing to endure. you got to endure. I think for those of us who follow Jesus, quite honestly, this, this one right here, this is an aspect of following Christ that often gets lost, is that so much of what it means to follow Jesus requires endurance and be a soldier and be an athlete and be a farmer. See, sometimes, I don't know how this happens, honestly, but sometimes we can fall into this mentality, and I'll be the first one to tell you, I see this happening to myself all the time. I fall into this mentality where I think that the Christian life should always feel motivating and inspiring. And if I don't feel motivated and I don't feel inspired, something must be wrong because Christianity is supposed to be motivating and inspiring. So if, I don't, if, I don't, if I'm not feeling it, like if I, man, I, you know, it's weird, weirdest thing. I don't feel like going to life group this week. It's weird. I should want to, right? I should be inspired to. I don't, I don't feel like loving somebody today. I don't feel like investing in that. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. And I think sometimes we look and say, well, I'm not feeling it. Something must be wrong. I don't feel inspired. And sometimes we'll look at suffering and we'll, and we'll view suffering as an interruption to our peaceful lives. Like life is supposed to be peaceful and it's supposed to be easy and it's supposed to be like a vacation. And if I have to endure something, that's just an interruption to what I actually need to get to. But you notice what Paul says, no, 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 Timothy, no. So much of the Christian life requires just endurance, just showing up. Just do it. Think about it for a minute. Think about, think about the, far, the hardworking farmer. There is so much about what this guy does for a living that is just, let's just be honest, it's just not sexy at all, right? Maybe his tractor is sexy, depending if you like, if you like country music or not, you know what I'm talking about, right? But there's nothing about what he does that's glamorous. So much of what this dude does, so much is just get up, go out, plow, prune, pull the weeds, make sure it's got water, fight off the bugs, go to bed, get up early, do it again, and just show up and do the same thing. And there is a, almost a monotony to it. There's a need to endure. 
right? Same thing with the athlete. Think about the athlete for a minute. So much of the athlete, so much of what he does is just go through the motions. He endures, 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 keeps showing up, keeps doing it. The athletes that we see on TV, we're watching them in their best moments, right? If you're watching the Browns this afternoon, we're hoping that we're seeing them at their best. That's what we're hoping for, right? But you know what they never show on TV? They never show you their workouts, they never show you when they're at the gym for several, they never show you when they're at home by themselves and they're choosing to eat foods without Eto's at the end. They don't, they don't ever glamorize, why don't they ever glamorize that? Because no one wants that part. We all want the victory, we all want the glory, but we don't want the sweat equity. And what Paul tells Timothy here, he says, no, 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 let's just be real clear, Timothy. God wants to unleash his power in and through you. But you gotta be a soldier. You gotta be an athlete. You gotta be a farmer. So much of that requires endurance. And man, I just, I feel like, I feel like for some of us sometimes we think that God can only use the gifted. Only the very gifted can be used by God. And can I just tell you, that's not true. Everyone in this room is gifted by God. You know who God uses? The endurance. The, those who would persevere. That's who God uses. They show up. You show up. We keep showing up. We keep doing these things, and we keep showing up in these ways. So let me, let me just vocalize something on this one that I think, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you almost feel afraid to say this. So let me vocalize it for you. And for those of you who are investigating Jesus, let me just be really outright and honest with you, because if you're investigating Christ, I don't want to lie to you. Here it is. Following Jesus is not easy. It's just not Following Jesus isn't easy. Following Jesus requires endurance. Following Jesus sometimes is actually harder. And maybe someone told you at some point that if you follow Jesus, everything in your life's gonna get easier, and I'm just telling you, they've lied to you. It's not true. Following Jesus is difficult at times. It requires endurance. Now, some of you are like, well, okay, then why would I follow Jesus? And here's why because it's awesome, because Jesus is amazing, because he's totally worth it, and there's nothing in life that's better than following Christ. But man, I'll just tell you, it's like anything in life that's worth anything, it's gonna cost everything. Like, how many of you guys in this room have kids? You guys got kids? Is that worth it? <laughs> you guys are really reluctant. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> is that rewarding? Is that worth it? Yes. Is it hard? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I got four of them. My wife and I, we don't even say goodnight to each other anymore. We just say good luck. We just look at each other. Good luck. Godspeed with you, right? That's what happens. I'll pray for you. It's so hard. It's hard. It requires, like anything in life, it's worth anything. You got to endure. Anyone in this room married? Do you, is, marriage, is marriage rewarding? It can be. It can be, Right? If you would endure, if you would endure. Is it hard? Is married life hard? Yes, yes. Ask my wife. It's tough. It's not easy. Being married, it's, not, it's so funny. I, we, do, uh, we do get them out of premarital counseling here with different couples, and we have them go through like a report that they fill out that, that gives us a review of their relate, like how they view their relationship. Let's tell you, so many times we get those reports, and it's just really hard not to chuckle. Because you're like, oh, everything's perfect. I see. Oh, look at that. Everything's wonderful. You're like, <laughs> just come back in a year and take it again. We'll see how that goes. It's hard. It's hard. And I'm just saying it's the same with following Jesus. It requires endurance. So Paul says, Timothy, 
It's not strange. It's not a weird thing if you find that you're losing motivation. It's not a weird thing if you need to endure. It's actually part of what it means to be used by God. All of that leads to this last thing, because if we just stopped here and I just said, yeah, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta in, you know, engage and, and submit and you gotta avoid and endure, let's pray. That'd be pretty burdensome. But the beautiful part is that he ends here. And that is that all, all three of them enjoy something. There's a reward to be enjoyed. And for the soldier, it's victory. For the athlete, it's a prize. And for the farmer, it's the fruit. And Paul looks and he says to the one that would engage, and he says to the one that would submit, to the one that would avoid, to the one that would endure, they will enjoy. They will enjoy the reward. And what he basically is saying here is he's saying, Timothy, there's something great. There's something great out there for you. There's something God has in mind for you that is wonderful, wonderful. God's power unleashed in you and unleashed through you. What he says here, I think, is actually very reminiscent of what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people and continued to help them. You see that? He say, man, God, God's going to reward you. There's something good. There's something good for you in this. And so maybe for some of you who are here today, and maybe you're a Christian worker, you're a life group leader, you're someone who is right now in the grind of following Jesus and you feel like a little bit like Timothy, maybe this is the best encouragement I can give to you today. And it's this, if you endure, you will win. And if you don't quit, you will see the prize. And some of you are like, well, how do I know that? How do I know that? Because it feels real hard. Well, I'll tell you how I know that. Because all of these things, Engage, submit, avoid, endure, enjoy. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, all of these things reflect Jesus Christ himself. Christ himself followed this very pattern. You think about Jesus. How did, how did Jesus come to a place where all authority in heaven and earth was given to him? How did he experience such victory? Here's how he engaged. He engaged in the mission of seeking those who were lost. He submitted. He submitted himself to the Father he avoided certain things. He endured the cross for our sake. And as a result of that, God elevated him and he enjoys success and victory in accomplishing the forgiveness of sins for our sake. And if we're following that guy, I'd say that our lives probably are gonna be patterned like his. And when God's power is unleashed in and through us, it requires these same things. So he says, soldier, athlete, farmer, think about these things, Timothy, and God will give you insight. I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And as the band makes their way up, I wanna end with just one, one final quick thought that I think is real important and then, and then we'll pray and be done. And that, that's this. I know for, for some of you, you might be hearing this and you might be thinking to yourself, man, this is really challenging. This is really good. But uh, I'm kind of confused because I, I thought you always said that following Jesus was not about trying harder. That following Jesus was all about grace, and, uh, and I'm confused because it sounds like what you're telling me is that I need to, to do more and try harder. And um, let me just clarify that real quick because I think what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in verse one is so significant. Notice this. He says to Timothy, he says, you then, my son, I want you to be strong in the, notice this, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Before the Apostle Paul even gives these three metaphors, he is very clear in clarifying to Timothy the motivating reason why you should live this way, is God's grace. And what is God's grace? It's his unmerited favor. In other words, what he's saying is the reason we live this way is not because we're trying to earn God's favor. 
It's not because we're trying to earn forgiveness. It's not because we're trying to earn salvation. If we have God's grace, you already have all of that. You already have forgiveness. You already have God's favor. You're not working for that. You're working from that. And so he tells Timothy, he says, so be strong in that grace. God's grace should empower you and motivate you to live this way because you're not, you're not trying to earn your way to him. I love the way Dallas Willard put it. Dallas Willard is a theologian. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so grace says, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor and God's forgiveness that's already given to you by Jesus Christ through grace and through faith. It's yours. And you can never lose it. You can't lose your grace. But grace is not opposed to effort. The Bible's gonna say in so many places, so much of the Christian life is to endure, is to persevere. It's gonna say things like strenuously contend. What's it talking about? It's saying that God's grace should empower me to live in these ways. The bottom line is, if you're under grace, you can never lose God's grace. You can lose your reward, but you can't lose grace. And so because of that, he says, Timothy, take on this mentality. Be like a soldier, good soldier. Be like a hardworking farmer and be like an athlete who plays by the rules. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you for, uh, yeah, for preserving for us this passage. And uh, there's just some incredible insight when we press our mind down on these things of, uh, of what each of these roles means in our own life. So God, I just want to pray specifically for the person who's here today who maybe finds themselves in a place where they're weary and they're serving you and uh, maybe they feel like Timothy Maybe they feel like they're losing heart and they're losing motivation and they're losing inspiration in serving you. And God, I pray that even today would just, man, would just breathe fresh life into them, that it would give them a renewed sense of motivation to move forward and to serve you, Jesus. Just asking for that. Help us to take on the mentality of, uh, of uh, for those who serve you, help us take on a mentality of uh, soldiers, good soldiers, of uh, athletes, God, and of um, of, of hardworking farmers. Help us to internalize those things. And I pray that your spirit would even work with us even further on that. God, I wanna pray for those who are newer to following you, those who are new to following Christ. And uh, Lord, I know that uh, the things at the beginning are uh, very exciting and there's a newness of life and a, so, so wonderful. But God, I also pray that you would help them, that even through this talk, that when they encounter a time uh, within their walk with you where they're experiencing difficulty, that they would not act as if some strange thing was happening, but they would recognize that that is a part of what it means to be perfected by you. And Lord, I wanna pray for the person in this room who doesn't know you, who maybe is investigating following you. And I pray that you'd help them to see that there's nothing that's more worthy in this life than committing to following you, Jesus, that you are the pathway to life and you are the pathway to freedom. That doesn't mean it's always easier, but Father, it does mean that what you have in mind for us is better than we could ever imagine for ourselves. So we just want to submit ourselves to you. We want to ask these things and pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen.